guess I think goes all the way up till 10 years old. So if you want to go, feel free. Foibled again. I'm getting there. This is definitely shorter than last week's setup. Hey, good morning, everybody. <laughs> My name is Jesse. We'll just lead with that. I'm one of the elders here. Hi. <laughs> one of the elders here. Um, we're going to open up with a couple psalms. Mainly because I was going to read one, and I was like, it doesn't fit terribly well. And then I read the second one, I was like, that's where my heart is today. So we're going to share those with you, and then, um, then I have an Advent reading <clears throat> from our book over there. So um, I used to go through um, the Psalms with my grandma. I started doing that after my grandfather passed away, and we did it for about two years straight. We'd read a Psalm every day together. And um, it, it got me, it got me, I mean, I'm not like an expert on the Psalms or whatever, but I definitely picked up on a couple little things that are, that are quite interesting through the, through the book. And the second one, the second one, the second Psalm rather, um, Psalm chapter two is quite interesting because it actually, it's almost like a dialogue between God and Jesus. It's, it's quite interesting. So I wanted to read that to you. Um, because I've been trying to stay in the Old Testament, looking forward to Christ as we um, are remembering his coming. So Psalm chapter 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord, that is God the Father, said to me, You are my son, capital S. I don't know if your translations have a capital S there. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And I always found that, I always found that second psalm just to be just kind of interesting. I mean, the content is kind of, I don't know, Old Testament, but that's fine. It's just interesting because Jesus here is referenced um, as, as God's son and as uh, worthy to be praised. Um, and then I was just, I was just like, oh, well, for the heck of it. I was just like, let's read Psalm 3, and this, this is where my heart is today. Um, so I wanted to share that with you because today I've just been, this past week, this past couple of days have been just, I don't know, hard. And so um, I wanted to, to share it with you because it seems like David also has hard days David says in Psalm chapter 3, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. 
I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Now that's interesting, because when, when David's writing this psalm, he's actually fleeing. He's fleeing imminent death. And so when he says, I laid down, and then I woke up, it's like, I didn't expect this. I expected to die tonight. But I didn't. And the Lord sustains him. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessings be on your people. And um, as I was reading that, it reminded me of a conversation we had this past Thursday when we were talking about encouraging one another in our faith. Um, And this this psalm did that for me this morning. Um, Verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Um, so that's where, that's where all of us try to rest today. I don't know if maybe you can find some rest there too. Um, now to move on to the Advent reading. Uh, today's, today's reading is from Augustine, an ancient church father, <coughs> on, um, on keeping Christmas. Augustine writes, Awake mankind, for your sake God has become man. Awake you who sleep, rise up from the dead, and Christ will enlighten you. I tell you again, for your sake, God became man. You would have suffered eternal death had he not been born in time. Never would you have been freed from sinful flesh had he not taken on himself the likeness of sinful flesh. You would have suffered everlasting unhappiness had it not been for this mercy. You would never have returned to life had he not shared your death. You would have been lost if he had not hastened to your aid. You would have perished had he not come. Let us then joyfully celebrate the coming of our salvation and redemption. Let us celebrate the festive day on which he who is great and who is the great and eternal day came from the great and endless day of eternity into our own short day of time. Uh, and that's where I wanted to just remember us with the Advent reading. Uh, I'll pray for Nathan, and then we'll dive in. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this Advent season, a season where we can remember and celebrate your coming. We thank you for the great humility you had in doing such a thing. Uh, and today, as we, we look to the hope, even in your death, God, uh, I pray that we will be strengthened and, and our hearts will be lifted. And uh, I pray for my brother Nathan as he uh, opens your word and uh, pervades it to us. I pray that our hearts will be ready to receive, that our minds will be attentive, uh, and that our actions will change this week as we hear and receive these things. Uh, and in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Wow. All right. Uh, like Justin, Jesse said, not Justin. Um, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the taller elders here at MD. Um, I'm going to turn this way because I don't know if you noticed, there's a bright light coming from that direction. Um, so <clears throat> bear with me. I do not teach often. Um, I do enjoy teaching. It is nerve-wracking. It is whatever, but I think it's a, it is a gift that God gives, um, and it's a gift that a uh, pastor should possess. And so, therefore, I teach. It is an honor to do so, um, and so it's an honor to be before you today. Um, <laughs> we've been in uh, hope 
for our Advent season this year. And so I just wanted to recap really quick where we've been. Uh, first week, we did Hope in His Coming, um, <clears throat> and that is hope is human nature. Hope is in all of us. We all hope for something. Whether you believe God or you don't believe God, you hope in something. There's hope there. Whether you have full hopelessness, even in full, almost 100% hopelessness, there still is hope. Hopelessness, you're hoping for something. You're not getting to that point, so you're still hoping for something. So first week we learned hope in his hopelessness. Hope is human nature. We also learned that hope um, hope has concrete assumptions. And there was three concrete assumptions we said that hope had. Hope um, needs an object that is better than you and your condition. So for hope to be uh, uh, concrete, it has to, have, has to be better than you and your condition. The second one is that hope needs to outlast uh, your lifetime. So hope has to go beyond the length of the life that you live. And then third was hope needs to be in a format that we can reasonably understand it. If we can't understand it, we can't have hope in it. It needs to be reasonable and understood. So uh, the first week we went over, hope is uh, human nature, and hope has three concrete assumptions. Second week we did hope in his living. Um, He came to be light and that and the life that we need. So Christ came um, in order to bring light and the life that we need. Um, God loves you. That's how you can center your hope, and that's how you can center your hope and faith. And there is no hope in in this material world. Our hope is in the eternal life of Jesus Christ. Um, and then we talked about ice. Faith is like ice. Um, it's not so much about the faith that you have stepping out onto that ice. It's actually the object um, of stepping out there and stepping on that ice and if that ice is actually going to hold you. So it's less about the faith that you have, and it's more about the actual object, if the object actually going to be faithful enough that you can have faith to step out on it. Um, so then um, that was last week's. Those were the last two weeks that we did. So I'm going to move into this week's lesson, and that is hope in his death. Um, in order for us to fully realize the hope that is in connection with Jesus' death, we must first have a full understanding of death itself. The first half of today's lesson will get a little dark, but let me give you some hope. Um, I will not leave it there. So if you find yourself feeling down, hold on, hope is on the way. Let's focus in, and we will all walk out of here with a deeper understanding of ourselves and, more importantly, the sacrifice that Christ made for us. Um, So let me set the stage for you with some vocabulary. Um, We've got three definitions we need to understand in order for us to move forward. Uh, The word perfect. The word perfect is to have all the required elements, qualities, or characteristics It is as good as it possibly could ever be, and is to make something completely free from flaws or defects. It's the word perfect. The word broken is the past participle of the word break. It is to be reduced to fragments, ruptured or torn, fragmented, not functioning properly, or out of working order. Therefore, when we say brokenness, brokenness points to something that is in the perpetual state of being broken. So brokenness is something that is in the perpetual state of being broken. 
For the purpose of this lesson, we need to have two definitions, natural brokenness and godly brokenness. I'm going to give you both of those definitions, natural brokenness. Natural brokenness points to broken people, places, or things around us. Again, that is natural brokenness points to um, broken people, places, or things around us. And then godly brokenness points to the person who is at the end of themselves and realizes they cannot fix themselves, but God can. Again, godly brokenness points to the person who is at the end of themselves but realizes they can't fix themselves, but God can. So the word perfect is to have everything that is required and to be completely free from faults and defects. There is no brokenness in perfect. Natural brokenness is the world around us, the world in which we live, and godly brokenness is to be completely laid out before God, the only one who can correct our brokenness. So let's dig in a little bit and talk about natural brokenness. Natural brokenness isn't a concept that is new to us. It's something that we are all very familiar with. We live each day in natural brokenness. Natural brokenness started many years ago. Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that God created the earth and everything in it, including the first humans. God created it all perfect, and it was designed to stay that way. God placed Adam and Eve in his perfect world in a garden that he created. They had everything they needed, including direct and perfect communication with God himself. Um, things were functioning properly until we hit Genesis 3. So if you could turn to Genesis 3, um, we'll read through Genesis 3, and we'll find out what happened to this perfect world. So Genesis 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said, no, you will not die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. See, God had one simple command for this perfect world that he created. Eat from any of the trees in the garden but one. If you eat of this tree, you will die. Adam and Eve did not believe God at his command and chose to eat from the exact tree he said not to. This is when brokenness entered the world. See, by eating from the tree... 
they disobeyed God and reduced the perfect world God created to fragments. They, ser- they severed the direct communication they had with him. The perfect world that was functioning properly is now out of order. Lest you think I'm being a tad bit dramatic, let's read on and see if we can find the brokenness. Genesis 3, 7 says, Then the eyes of, bo- of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord, said, so the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he, the Lord, said, Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, The woman you gave me to be with, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So let's look at this a little bit. In a world where everything's perfect, I have some questions. Verse 7, why are they covering themselves now? Why all of a sudden? Verse 8, why are they hiding from God? We're in a perfect world. Why are you hiding from God? Verse 9, what happened to the direct and perfect communication? Why does God even have to ask questions? Verse 10, where did this fear come from? What or who are they afraid of? Verse 12 and 13 Deflection and blame shifting. You know what I found very ironic? Serpent stopped speaking. He had a lot to say before God showed up on the scene. But all of a sudden, you see there's no, no word from him. He's very, very silent. So Adam and Eve are covering their bodies, hiding from God. God is asking questions. There is a broken communication, fear, deflection, blame shifting. Does any of this sound like something that is perfect, something that is completely without flaws, faults, and defects? No, it does not sound like that. Then God, being perfect, issued a curse on his once perfect creation and blamed and banished Adam and Eve out of the garden. Genesis three fourteen through 24. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor at the, end, at the days of your, all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the, the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Since you were taken from it, from... For you are dust, and you will return to dust. 
The man named his wife Eve because she was mother of all living things. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. The Lord God said, since the man has come, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out of out and stationed a cherubim and a, and the flaming whirling sword east of the garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. This brokenness, this curse, we are all born into it. No one escapes it. It is natural brokenness. It's sickness, it's mental health, it's bodily aches and pains. It's the car that won't start, the disgruntled employee, the mother who can't have kids. It's failing vision and hearing. It's your annoying brother or sister. It's the lawnmower that won't start, the weeds that keep growing back. It's the kids that won't eat, sleep, or listen. It is brokenness. Brokenness is the computer that won't stay connected to the internet while you're writing your lesson. It's the depression, it's stress, it's anxiety, it's anger, it's fear, it's aggression. It's the traffic light that won't change and the slow driver in front of you. It's 17 mass shootings in the U.S. resulting in 180 deaths in two years. It's 13 tropical storms this year, eight being hurricanes, four being major hurricanes. It's 1,090 terrorist attacks this year, resulting in 7,439 deaths. It's brokenness resulting in death. Need I go on? I think not. But can I admit something? As I was writing this lesson, I kept thinking, it's not me. I'm not broken. But the truth is, I am what you say? You? Nah, not you. Not you at all. Well, you can ask my wife of 36 days. I'm sure she'll confirm <laughs> that I'm broken. And we laugh and we laugh and we all sit and say, not me, not me. But can we be honest with each other? It's true. It's each one of us. We're all broken. So I'm going to say it. I'm broken. I'm going to have you say I'm broken. Say it with me. I'm broken. Say it again. I'm broken. Say it as if you're not looking at the person next to you and saying, I'm better than you. Say it if not, you're looking at this person next to you here. Say, I'm broken. Oh, you can do better than that. I don't believe that you're not looking at the person next to you. Say, I'm broken. I'm broken. Good, but God. But God. I'm broken, but God. See, the God who created it all perfect didn't just issue a curse and banish Adam and Eve. He didn't leave them hanging. He began to write the story of hope, redemption, and love. He instituted the law and sacrificial system so we could atone for the brokenness and sin. Romans 7 says that it is God's law that shows us our sin, which produces fruit for death 
in us. Throughout the rest of Genesis into Exodus and Leviticus, the law and the sacrificial system point us towards the perfect God who loves us. The spotless lamb in Exodus 12:5 was foreshadowing what God was accomplishing. See, the lamb that was sacrificed could not have any blemishes of its own. It did if it did, one could say that it did I'm sorry. If it did, one could say that it didn't cover my sins, it covered its own sins. It had to be perfect in order for it to bear the burden of the people's sins and brokenness. I'm broken, but God. If for some reason, if we're confused, if for some reason the law shows us our sin and brokenness, but the law can't do it perfectly. So how do we get back to the perfect? Isaiah 40 gives us some insight. Comfort, comfort my people, says God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of forced labor is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord, Lord's hand from all her sins. A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. See, Isaiah was foreshadowing John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness to make a way for the Lord is coming. John 1 goes on to say, the next day Jesus, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10-18 through 18 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who sees God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They're, they deceive their tongues, her viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So then the wages, the payments, the sacrifice for all so then the wages and the payments and sacrifice for all of this sin and brokenness is death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This gift of love is wrapped up in Christ and more specifically, the act of death. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were sinners, not before we cleaned up, not before we changed our brokenness, not before we fixed anything, but while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm broken, but God. In case we missed it, let me say it a little differently. I'm broken, you're broken, we're all broken, 
realizing our natural brokenness and that we cannot do anything to change it is part of God, godly brokenness. But God who loves us so much so that he sent his son, the spotless, perfect lamb, to bear all of our sin and brokenness, he did this so that we may become spotless and blameless before God. He took sickness, mental health, bodily aches and pains. He took the car that won't start, the disgruntled employee, the mother who can't have kids. He took our failing vision and hearing. He took your annoying brother or sister. He took the lawnmower that won't start and the weeds that continue to grow back. He took the kids that won't eat, sleep, listen. He took the computer that won't connect to the internet as you're writing your lesson. He took depression, stress, and anxiety. He took anger, fear, and aggression. He took the traffic light that won't change in a slow driver in front of you. He took 17 mass shootings in the U.S. resulting in 188 deaths. He took 13 tropical storms, eight being, eight being hurricanes and four major hurricanes. He took the 1,088 terrorist attacks, resulting in 7,439 deaths. He took our brokenness, the result that results in death upon himself. So you ask, where is the hope in death? It's found in the fact that on the cross, Jesus took the punishment we deserve for our sin and brokenness. He did not deserve to die, but he willingly took on took our place, and experienced death in our place. Isaiah says it this way, chapter 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and was esteemed, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So you ask, where is the hope in death? You ask where it's at. It's in the sacrifice that God made for us. He took all of our brokenness, every situation that we have, everything from sickness to death to mental illness to health to all of those things, and he took them all to the cross for us because he loved us. So we admit, I'm broken, but we can't leave it there. The hope is, but God sent his son into the world, sent his son to die for us so that we can live the life that he has for us. Each week we do a respond. Um, This week I'd like for us to uh, spend some time in prayer. Um, That time is focused in on brokenness. Talk to God. Talk to God about your issues. We all have them. Talk to God about that. Um, And then spend some time thanking him for his perfect gift of love, for not leaving us in our brokenness and in our sin. Spend some time praying. I'll play for a little bit, and then we'll sing a song, and we'll end out.